0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew four twelve through twenty five. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Naz- Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah: "Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles." the people living in the darkness have seen a great light of those living in the land of the shadow of death a light has dawned from from that time on jesus began to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near as jesus was walking beside the sea of galilee he saw two brothers simon called peter and his brother andrew they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen come follow me jesus said And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pains and demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the other region across the Jordan followed him. This is the word of the Lord for us.
1: Good morning. It is good to be with you. Uh, I hope everyone had uh, a wonderful week. Uh, as we celebrated Christmas uh, with friends and family, um, I'm excited to be uh, up here. Uh, my name's Mark. I serve as one of our elders here. Um, and uh, last couple weeks, Phil and I have, have come filled in for uh, John as uh, he's been uh, with the family as they welcome Benjamin in the world. And uh, I would just ask that you do continue to pray for them. Uh, many of you probably know, Matthias is just struggling right now, uh, he's, he's, he's just dealing with some sickness. So, uh, just keep them uh, in your prayers here moving forward. Um, so John had asked me if I'd uh, preach, he had asked me a couple months ago, and he said, you know, we're in between series. We'll have finished up our Advent series. We'll be starting a new uh, series uh, in January. So you get to pick the topic. And uh, that was kind of overwhelming, to be honest with you at first. Like, what do you what do you, what do you preach about? But the more I thought about it, uh, I decided, like, I thought it would be cool to talk about the theme that, that really, as I look at my own life, um, has has allowed me to grow closer to Jesus and how I follow him. And it's, I think, the central theme in the Bible, but one that many times we overlook or kind of gloss over. Um, and so that theme, is, if you see on, on the screen there, is the gospel of the kingdom. And so as we start this morning, I, I, I just want you to think for a few seconds. Uh, when you think of the gospel, what do you think of? If someone were to come up to you who uh, maybe didn't grow up in church or what, didn't claim to be a Christian, and they were genuinely asking, like, what's this gospel all about? You guys are, you know, you, you talk about the gospel all the time. What does that mean? And after your initial, like, panic there, I think we've all been in that situation, like, oh, what do I do? Uh, I think most of, or many of us probably know that gospel just means good news. And if you did, not maybe you caught it in the, in the video there. But then the question is, what is this good news? You know, we can have all kinds of good news. Oh, good news, the Browns won the other night. They're going to the playoffs. Good news, we're having pizza tonight. But I think we all realize that's not the good news that we're talking about. Not even close to it. And I think most of us who have been walking with Jesus for any amount of time would say something along the lines of, well, the good news is that despite the fact that we're sinners, God still loves us, and he came down into this world as a human, Jesus. And he went to the cross, and he died uh, for our sins in our place, and then he rose three days later so that we could spend eternity with him. And, and to that I say, Amen. Yes, that is, the, that is the heart of the gospel message. That is a wonderful place to start. But sometimes I wonder, do we become over from overly familiar with that concept? Does it just become kind of... Do we we acknowledge it with our head, but do we really live it out? Uh, and so this morning, what I'd like to do is I would like to kind of take a step back and pretend for a second that we are a Jewish person living 2,000 years ago uh, in Israel, Palestine. We we go around, we hear this guy Jesus, and and what do we think of when we think of the gospel? And more importantly. What is it that Jesus means when he talks about the gospel or the good news? What does he have in mind? And so we heard Jackson just read uh, the, the second part of uh, Matthew chapter 4 uh, a couple moments ago. And Matthew kind of does the hard work for us. He tells us what Jesus thinks the good news is. In, in Matthew 4 chapter 23 it says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news... Of the kingdom. Of the kingdom. How many times do we think of the kingdom when we think of the gospel or the good news? I think we use that. That's one of those words we use a lot in Christian circles, right? Like, we're a kingdom-minded church, or we're, we're doing the work of the kingdom. But do we really think about what does that mean? And so, 2,000 years ago, if you were a Jewish person, and you heard this guy start talking about the kingdom, all, start, all types of things would have been firing in your mind. It would have been lighting all kinds of images up. Today, because we're not nearly as steeped in the, in the Hebrew scriptures as people, you know, a Jewish person 2,000 years ago was, we don't necessarily catch the same imagery that was was, was being brought up. So what I'd like to do is try to take a, a quick little trip through the Old Testament today. And so I ask you to bear with me. Uh, we're going to be kind of hopping around a lot. And if you end the morning completely confused I apologize uh, you can look forward to the fact that, that hopefully John will be back next week and clear everything up um, so if we have a kingdom what do you need to have what do you need to have a kingdom you need a king or a queen and what's the job of a king or a queen it's to rule to reign to govern a group of people so the first time in Scripture that we see this idea of ruling or reigning is actually in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis one. And this year we have taken time to, to, to work our way through Genesis, studying it. And so, this being the last day of 2023, I thought this would this would fit nicely because it's kind of kind of recap what we've studied uh, throughout the year. But if we go back to Genesis chapter one, uh, we have the creation account. And most of you are familiar with this. This It's a story of, of of the all powerful God just being able to speak order into chaos and to form this creation. But the thing we have to understand about God is God is a God who wants to share, and so He wants to share in the ownership of His creation. And so on day six, He creates humans. And so in, in Genesis chapter 1, I'm just going to read uh, verses uh, 26 through 28. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made man, or created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so we see from the very beginning, when God created humanity, the idea was that we as humans would rule right alongside God. Through us, God would rule and reign. We are to image his goodness into creation. We're kind of like, uh, I think of like, almost like middle management. If we went around and let's say I wanted to open a new restaurant or a coffee shop. And so I gathered uh, all the capital. I got the space and the equipment, everything I need. Uh, but I've got other uh, things taking up my time. So I go and find a manager. And I, and I bring them in and I say, hey, look, I've got everything you need here to, to run a successful coffee shop. Now, now go and make something with this. Create an atmosphere where people can come and hang out and have good coffee and food. Be creative. Hire people that that you think will will fulfill this mission. That's kind of like what God was doing with us. He's like, look, I've made this beautiful creation. Now go do something with it. A lot of times we think, you know, God created the world, and we'll say perfect, but it never says it was perfect. It says it was good. He kind of gave us a blank canvas, and then he wanted humanity to go and image him into creation. It's kind of like the moon. If you think about, like, on a, a bright, clear night, And you have a full moon it just illuminates everything. It's not the moon that's shining the light, it's the sun's reflection. And kind of in the same way we're to image God's goodness into creation. He wants to to rule his creation through and with us. And we see that uh, imagery kind of in the tree of life where, where God tells Adam and Eve, Hey, as long as you rely on me for your vision of good and bad... As long as you turn to me for wisdom and I'm the source of wisdom, things are going to be great. And they are. And so we have this united kingdom here. We have God and humans dwelling together in heaven and earth. It's like a heaven and earth kingdom here. But there's this other tree as well, right? This tree of knowing good and bad or good and evil. And God says, hey, stay away from that tree. All you need is me. As long as you're turning to me... As your source of wisdom, you're good. But humanity stages a coup. They decide that they want to rule themselves. They don't want to rule with God and through God. They want to be the definition of right or wrong. They want to be their own king. And so they take and they seize autonomy for themselves. And at this point, you see a fracturing of this kingdom. Where you had a united heaven and earth kingdom. God and humans dwelling. And ruling together, now you have a split. And you have the age of human kingdoms. Where humanity, they, does, they do what's right in their own eyes. And we know how this story plays out. It's a disaster. We don't have to look long. We see Cain and Abel. Uh, and it's a story of, of anger and jealousy and rage and murder. And, and, and despite the warning that sin is crouching at the door... Cain, he decides to do what's good in his own eyes, and and we see this pattern just replayed throughout the remainder of human history up till present day. But God is determined to work through His human creatures here, and so He launches a plan to save humanity, to bring humanity back under His reign in His kingdom. And we've studied this this past year. we studied this family, the family of Abraham. And how he uses this one family to start an alternate kingdom. And it was through this family then that he would draw the other kingdoms back to himself. Just quickly in Genesis 12, the Lord said to to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth, this is the key here, will be blessed through you. It's through this one family that God launched his plan to reclaim all the peoples of the earth. And we know how this story goes. This, This family ends up in Egypt, enslaved to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh represents every human kingdom. He represents everything that's wrong with these human kingdoms, right? He's willing to subject an entire people to slavery, killing babies, all according to what's, what's good in his own eyes, what's best for him and his people. That's all that matters for him. And God enters and he said, hey, this is my people, this is my kingdom, let them go. And Pharaoh looks at God and like, I don't know you, I'm king. You're not king, I'm king. I make the rules here. And so you have this intense showdown between Pharaoh and God. And we're familiar with this. God then leads and delivers his people from out from under the hand of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh ends up leading himself straight into destruction. Because that's ultimately where this kingdom leads, this human kingdom. So God delivers his people, Uh, and this is interesting, in in Exodus 15 then, Moses and the Israelites sing the song to the Lord, and this is the first time that God is identified as king in the Bible. And so I'm just going to go through, I'm not going to sing, I'm not going to sing through these verses, everybody's going to be clearing out real quick, but I will, I do want to read a few of these verses, just the the first two verses, and then the, the last verse here in Exodus 15. It says, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. If we skip to to the last verse, verse 18. The Lord reigns forever and ever. And so here you have a people group acknowledging God as king. This is their king. He, they are his people. And he reigns. And so, so God then takes this people group to a foot of a mountain. And he enters into a covenant with them. He enters into this agreement. And the terms of this agreement are pretty clear. Uh, there's ten commandments that we're fairly familiar with. And there's another 600 plus just for good measure. And God tells us, people, hey, if you stay faithful to this covenant, if you acknowledge me as king and you turn to me to determine good and bad and to find wisdom, things will be great. And you then will be a city on a hill for all these other uh, kingdoms. They will, you will draw them to myself. But we know how this goes. It does not go well. These Israelite kings... Uh, throughout Israel's history, they almost turn into little mini-Pharaohs. They decide they reject God, and they decide that they're going to rule according to the human kingdoms around them and what they think is best. And so they end up, they end up running Israel into the ground. And we get to the point where God is... He, he just allows Babylon to come in and take, take his people off into exile. And how desperate, how, how, how despondent must the people have been? And, and we saw it kind of in the, the video clip to start here. You had the city of Jerusalem. This was, is this was where God was supposed to reign. It's in shambles. His people have been taken away. There's a few people remaining. And they're just like, what has happened here? This is not how this is supposed to look. It looks like the human kingdoms have defeated God's kingdom. But then we see the prophets like Isaiah that come through. And this, is, this comes from the video this morning. This is Isaiah 52.7. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet. Those who bring good news. To proclaim, who proclaim peace. Who bring good tidings. Who proclaim salvation. Who say to Zion, your God reigns. So even amongst the destruction of Jerusalem... People are desperate. It looks like these human kingdoms have won. The good news is God still reigns. He is still king. Despite what, looks like, what it looks like everywhere around them, God still reigns. And so now, we get back to the time of Jesus here. Hopefully you have a little framework for, for what, a, what a Jewish person was waiting for. This is the idea of the kingdom in their mind. God still reigns, and they're just waiting for God's return. And so Jesus goes around preaching about the kingdom, and people's ears start perking up all of a sudden. They're like, is this it? Is this what we've been waiting for? Because during Jesus' time, the Jewish people, they were being subjected to just the latest version of Pharaoh. This time it was, it was the Roman government who had come in and subjected them just to, to, to horribly high taxes, Many people were losing land that had been in their families for generations and generations and generations. Life was not good. And so they were waiting and hoping for the return of their king. And here comes Jesus saying, the kingdom is here. It's here and now. It's at hand. Repent. And people start listening. And so what does the king need? He needs a people. And so what does Jesus do? He starts gathering a people. He goes, he takes a walk by the sea and he sees these brothers out fishing, these two sets of brothers, and says, Hey, follow me. So they just drop everything and they follow him. So he's gathering a people, and, and more and more people are following Jesus. And Jesus keeps preaching about the kingdom. Whatever we think about Jesus, we have to think about the kingdom. That is what he. That's what he preached. That's what he was here for. That that is the the message. Everything that Jesus said had to do with the kingdom. We can think about all the parables he said. We can think about uh, all the, the 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 little lessons that he gave. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor. Treat others the way you want to be treated. All of this points to the kingdom. But this kingdom that Jesus began preaching and that people were were waiting for and excited about and like finally. The kingdoms here, it started to sound a lot different than what they were expecting. See, in Jesus' kingdom, he started to say things that were really weird. That didn't line up with how kingdoms had been run in the past. See, Jesus said, those who are the most important and who have the most to offer, actually, in Jesus' kingdom, they're the least important. He still loves you, but... You're not as important as you think. It's the people who have the least to offer and who are the most shamed. These are the people called the poor in spirit. They're the important ones. In this kingdom, what it means to assert your rule or your reign over somebody else is to actually to serve them and to look out for their best interests, even at the expense of yours. The first are last and the last are first. This is a complete upending of the human kingdoms that had been at work since Genesis 3. Here's the thing. Jesus, though, he he doesn't just talk the talk. He walks the walk. And so he modeled what it looked like to live in this kingdom. He hung out with the dredges of society. The people that nobody else wanted. The sinners, the tax collectors, the sexually immoral. these are the people Jesus hung out with. He could have gone and, and brokered some kind of agreement with the Romans and tried to, to ascend a, a powerful position and, and re- ruled his kingdom from, from that regard. He didn't, though. He hung out with the, the nobodies in society. And then ultimately, he went to the cross. For all of us. As an act of service. And then he raised three days later. And just like God had delivered his people. From Pharaoh. Thousands of years before. God delivers us. Through Jesus. Through the cross. Through the empty tomb. This kingdom though, is just still hard to comprehend. For us today. It is so easy, and I'm I'm, I'm preaching to myself more than anyone this morning. It is so easy to get pulled into the dynamics of this current age. The human kingdoms that say, might makes right. Those in power, they're the ones that win. And if you're in power, it doesn't matter what you do to other people or who you stomp on or trample over just so you can get done what you need to get done. And this was hard for Jesus' own disciples. The people who had followed him around for three years listening to him preach about this kingdom, they still had a very difficult time understanding and comprehending this. I'm going to hop over to, to Mark real quick. And this is not on the board, so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, you're, you're welcome to. Uh, this is Mark chapter 8. I'm going to pick up in verse 27. Uh, last last fall we, or last year we did a Wednesday Bible study Uh, on Mark, and we talked a little bit about this. I'm just going to read and then then see what happens here. This is Mark 8, verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Caesarea Philippi. On On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. All right, Peter, good job, buddy. You you did it. You nailed it. You correctly identified the Messiah. Here's the king. He's come back. You get it. So Peter's identified who Jesus is. But he still doesn't understand what Jesus has come to do. Because if we keep reading, it says, verse 31, he, Jesus, Then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And I don't know how many of you have read this passage before and, and thought in your head, like, man, here's Peter. This is one of Jesus' closest friends, and he's calling him Satan. It's a little harsh, isn't it? But what's Peter doing here? If you see what he was doing, he's actually doing the exact same thing Satan did to Jesus out in the wilderness. Remember this story? Jesus out in the wilderness, and Satan takes him and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, and says, "Hey, look! If you bow down and worship me, you can have all this. You can you can rule. You can feed all the hungry people you want. You can help. You can you can help uh, all, all the sick people. Whatever you want, you do it. You'll be you'll you'll rule the whole kingdom. Just bow down and worship me." And of course, Jesus wasn't going along with that, and he wasn't going along with it here because Peter was doing the same thing. Here Peter is, he's he's looking forward to Jesus marching into Jerusalem as king, driving out the, the dirty Romans, establishing his, his supremacy here and now. In, in modern terms, Jesus, you're gonna be president and you're gonna make me speaker of the house, and we're gonna rule together, and we're gonna we're we're gonna do things the right way. We're gonna be the ones making the call. No more Romans, we're, we're gonna do it the right way, because we know we know how to rule right. Our side, we know we know what's best. He said, no, no, Peter, that is not, that's not what this kingdom is about. This is not how we operate in this kingdom. And then Jesus goes on. This is still in Mark 8, chapter, or verse 34. He turns then to the crowd along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And again, it's, it's so hard to not get sucked into the dynamics of the human kingdom that says, if we are in power, we can do the right thing. We'll make everything else better. Jesus says, if you want to be part of my kingdom, it means take up your cross. Die to yourself. Die to these images that you have of the human kingdom and what, and what these kingdoms tell you to do, and follow me. And that is hard. Easy to read these things, but to actually implement them, guys, super hard. And I struggle with this every day. At times, I think it's almost impossible because we are saturated with the messages of this current age, of this current kingdom. And it's so easy to get sucked in. And I think about it, I think about and I I don't want to step on anybody's toes here, but I think about all the stuff that's going on in our world right now. And 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 in the political world we think like, hey, these people they're going to protect us. We just get them in power. They're, they're, going to do the, they're going to do the right thing. They'll protect us. It doesn't matter how they act or behave. If they, if they act and behave totally antithetical to what, what Jesus says, that's okay. Because we need those people in power. And it's hard. It's, hard. it's so easy to go along with that. Uh, I'm reading a book right now. And, and in this book, uh, there's a pastor. He's quoted... Uh, His name is Chris Winans, and he says, The offering of grace, salvation, citizenship, and an eternal kingdom ought to be enough to quell the temporal desires of those who identify as Christians. But it often isn't, for the same reason that God's covenant wasn't enough for the ancient Israelites thousands of years ago. God's people have always been tempted to be like the kingdoms of the rest of the world. It was true then, it's true now. There's a consistent pattern in scripture of what it looks like. I want to be in power. I want to have influence. I want to be prosperous. I want to have security. And even if God gives me some of these things, I'll try to achieve even more through worldly means. So it's a challenge for each of us. It's a challenge for me. To every day seek the kingdom of God. Because it's accessible to us here and now. I think sometimes we think we're just here and we're waiting for, for Jesus to come back and then, and then we'll go to heaven, everything will be good. The kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus inaugurated his kingdom on earth when he came the first time. Now, we live in this time, a lot of people will call it the now but not yet. We know that his kingdom is not fully established yet. We live in this in-between time. We, we can live out uh, the, the dynamics of his kingdom here and now, but we know that we still are dealing with the consequences of these human kingdoms that have been running the show for so many years, for so long. But we are called to, 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 to exalt Christ on his throne, acknowledge his reign, and live under the banner of a different kingdom. And we can do that despite the pain. And I know many of you right now are just suffering. You're, you're, you're going through things in your life. You're dealing with family members who are struggling. You're, you're, you yourselves are, are, are dealing with health concerns and problems. And it's hard. It's easy to lose sight of the kingdom in those situations. So I, I don't want to overlook that. I want to, I want to express how much I, I, I feel that. But we have a hope when we live in under the reign of Christ. For his return. We know one day that Christ, our king will return and establish his permanent kingdom here on earth. And we can look forward to that. And so we started this morning talking way back in the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 1. I'm going to fast forward here to the very last chapter in the Bible, Revelation 22. And in Revelation, John paints a picture of what this kingdom will be like. And the hope that we can look forward to. So I'm just going to read this. I want you to think what what images pop into your mind as we read through this. This is Revelation chapter 22. We're just going to read the first five verses. says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. Listen to this. And they will reign, who? His followers, will reign forever and ever. What is going on here? Did you guys catch this? The river of life? The tree of life? This is a reboot of Eden that we have to look forward to. When Christ returns, he's taking those two kingdoms and reuniting them into one again. And we, just like in Eden, will dwell with God and be able to fully realize our potential as image bearers, where we reign with him into creation. It's kind of like since Genesis 3, we've had a pause in the action. And now we're picking back up, and we get to move forward living and reigning with God in his kingdom, in his united heaven and earth kingdom. And so as we close this morning, um, what are the implications for us moving into a new year, into 2024? I, I want to challenge us to not get comfortable with maybe our, our, our view of the gospel. Where we say, you know what? Jesus died for me. I accept him as my Savior. I'm going to heaven. I can move on with life now. He did die for us. We do get to live with him forever, and that is good news. But the good news is also is he reigns. He is our king, and we are invited to live in his kingdom here and now. And so as we move into this new year, I invite you to examine your heart and think about how am I carrying out his kingdom here and now. And sometimes we think, well, I do that individually, but we are actually called to do that in community. How do we as a church body, how do we as a a greater body of believers, how do we present a kingdom to the rest of the world that is so appealing that they can't help but ask, I want to be part of that. This world's a mess. Why why are you guys different? By every right, you should hate me, but you love me. What's the deal with that? And we can point... To our King in his return. And we can be confident in this current kingdom that Christ has already defeated the last enemy. He has defeated death. We don't have to worry anymore. We can be free to love and to serve others in Christ's kingdom. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for this chance to get together this morning. I ask that you just bless each and every one in this room this morning. Go with us uh, as we start a new year. Help us to be mindful that you reign and that your kingdom is here and now and that we are called as your followers to show others the good news as well with how we treat them, with how we act. We ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, equip us to love well, and to glorify you in all that we do. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.